This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. One o'clock kickoff, probably more like 110 at Husky Stadium. And be prepared. It's going to be hot. Temperatures expected. What are we seeing today? Uh, high 80s, Scott? Yeah, they said a lot of it depends on how much haze and smoke we have in in the air today, um, whether it stays below 90 or not. Yeah, it's going to be warm at uh, Husky Stadium today. And again, a 110 kickoff against Portland State. So um, uh, this is going to be, um, how do, I, I put it in my prediction, I think Kent State's going to wind up at the end of the year looking back, going to be a better team than a lot of people anticipated. And I think at the end of the year people are going to look back and see how bad portland state really is so um interesting game coming up at uh 110 today scott what are some things that uh maybe one or two things pointing to today's game that you're really going to keep an eye on well a big a big thing will be the husky passing game because this is going to be a man-to-man uh team they're going to see a lot more man this week than they saw last week against kent state um the coaches coach grubb uh, and and Coach Shepard have all said have both said that you know this is a high man team they they play a lot of man to man a lot of matchups um, and stuff like that and and Washington's going to need to take advantage of that so we'll see there and then the other thing is Washington and how they're able to protect Penix up front but also get some push on a nah, I won't say it's a tiny uh, defensive line but Washington should be able to push these guys around a little bit but we said that about Montana last year so. Um, I, I think those are the two big things for me. Chris, one or two keys that you're going to be keeping an eye on this afternoon? Uh, by the way, the forecast is going to be 81 at game time with a high of 86 around 4 or 5 o'clock. So that'll give people an idea of kind of the temperatures that these guys are going to be dealing with. But, I, you know, we're, we're talking about a Portland State defense, and, and I didn't get to see the whole game of their first game against San Jose state, but they came up with seven sacks and 11 tackles for loss. So clearly they're going to try to be really, really aggressive going upfield. Exactly the same thing that we're talking about with, um, you know, we're talking about with what Washington was trying to do. And so, you know, the, we'll see how that, that goes with Washington's offensive line. Will Jackson Kirkland start? No idea. We'll find out a little bit later today. And then, uh, obviously, defensively, they need to clean up their stuff as they go upfield because they had plenty of rush. They just couldn't get uh, Colin Schley down for Kent State. Now they have a guy here in Dante Shasher who's very slippery, according to the defensive coaches that we talked to um, this week. So 
you know, again, we'll have to see how they do, but I think this is a good opponent to have after Kent State because it's kind of similar in terms of personnel. They might be seeing things a little differently, but the 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 process and, and what they're going to try to do from game one to game two should be pretty similar. Hey, Scott, it looked like last week that they really made an effort to get uh, Michael Penix in the passing game going with a small front for Portland State. Do you anticipate them switching that up a little bit and trying to emphasize the running game more this week than they did last week? Well, I, I don't think they're going to emphasize the running game to the detriment of the offense in general. And to, I mean, this is going to be a pass first offense. I think we all know that. And we knew that kind of coming in and that they were going to be more of a passing, more wide open, but they want to be able to run the ball when they need to run the ball. And last week they didn't get it done on a consistent basis. There were some good plays and there were some bad plays. There's probably more bad plays than good plays in the running game. And I think that's definitely something they want to get cleaned up, but I don't think they're going to emphasize the run and, and run it. You know, if they, if they have, if they run 70 plays, um, I don't, I don't see them running for 40 and, and throwing for 35. I think at the very most you'd see 30 to 35 rushes and, and then 40 uh, passes, 45 passes, whatever that is. But um, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to emphasize the run maybe a little bit more, try and get a little bit more done there, but I don't think they're going to do it to the detriment of the offense. And Chris, you know, when we're talking about getting that run game going, of course, the offensive line is going to be the key. A lot of talk about Jackson Kirkland possibly being back this week after serving the one game suspension from the NCAA. But, you know, we've been hearing for a little bit that he's still a little bit dinged. Are you expecting to see a lot or any of all of Jackson Kirkland? Um, I expect that we're going to see Jackson Kirkland. I don't know if we'll see a ton of him. Um, I think that they're pretty happy with what they've got right now in terms of what Troy Fautanu brings to them on, at left tackle. And so, and, and then Nate Kaleppo, obviously left guard, because if you, if Jackson Kirkland does come into the game, now all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, probably Fautanu moves inside to left guard. Um, so there's a little bit of a shuffle there. I think they want to see how the continuity works from week one to week two with Fautanu and Kaleppo first, and then bring in, uh, Jackson to get some reps before Michigan State. I think that's going to be key, but I don't think they necessarily need to tax him if they're able to execute the way they were able to execute against Kent State. The other thing I would say, too, about the run game is that the run pass split was about 55-45 for, in terms of, run, uh, terms of pass to run, and some of those runs were not necessarily designed, like Penix's scrambles. So it might be a little bit closer to 60-40, which I don't think is is out of line with what people would have expected going into the season. And Scott, with that offensive line, if they bring back Jackson Kirkland, do you see Fautano slipping in at left guard? Or do you see uh, Kalepo still staying there with um, Fautano on the bench? And then also we've got to take a look at the center position as well with Corey Luciano, who started last week. But uh, Mateo Mele came in pretty um, early um in the game, you know, about midway through the second quarter and took over at center. What are you expecting to see on those two positions? Well, I I, I agree with Chris. I think we're going to see Troy Fautanu move over to uh, left guard and, and that you'll see Kalepo uh, then be the first one, one of the first ones off the bench. Um, I I just think, I you know, you want to get your best five out on the field. And I, and I think Troy Fautanu is definitely in that top five uh, offensive lineman that Washington has on their roster right now. So um, as far as, you know, 
center. I think you'll see Luciano end up with the start, but Melee is definitely going to push him. And I think these are the games when you can get those backups, guys who who aren't um, necessarily the quote-unquote starters, more reps. And so I think they want to get him reps because I, I think every coach, line coach, since I have been here, every line coach that they have – uh, had has all said you never get through an entire season with just one center you have to have two if not three centers ready to go and i and i think that's what you're going to see is they're they're going to try and get reps for melee there and it sure sounds like you know talking to coach huff um after film review it sounded like nate Kalepo um had a good game and uh, they were really happy with him yeah, yeah, they they were very happy. I was happy with what I saw. He had some great blitz pickup that, where he came off of his double team and and was able to pick up a, a delayed blitz from a linebacker. Um, the coaches all raved about it. The moment wasn't too big for him, and and he really seemed to step up and and play really well. And and uh, I can't help but think about his mom looking down on him right now and and just smiling. Um, because I mean, you got to believe that that was just a huge emotional thing for him. And then I think the key is, and I'm, I'm thinking we may see a little bit more emphasis on the run game. We'll see. But uh, I'm also interested in seeing if they can get a back that can um, be that bellwether guy to be the guy they depend on that uh, maybe get the first 100-yard rusher of the season this year. You see, what do you, what do you anticipate with that run game today, Chris? Well, I just think that they're going to obviously try to improve. Um, you know, Wayne Talapapa had 11 carries for 57 yards and that against Kent State. That's an average of 5.2 yards a carry. Um, obviously, that included the 28 yard touchdown run. So that's almost half of those yards right there. Um, you know, Will Nixon, nine for 29. Um, you know, Penix obviously had some decent scrambles, but his long was 10 and he still gained almost seven yards a carry. Uh, Cameron Davis, 2.2 yards a carry. So the, so the main guys, if you take away that uh, that touchdown run for Talapapa, they were not that productive. And, you know, as we're always told, the cliche in college football is the biggest improvement comes from game one to game two. So I certainly expect them to clean that up uh, a lot more against Portland State. And this is a Portland State team that only gave up 49 yards on the ground to get San Jose State. So that's, you know, they're going to have their work cut out for them for sure. Now, some of that is obviously they had those sacks and that sack yardage is taken away, but still even the net gain, uh, the the gross gain uh, yards gained by San Jose State was 120 yards. So it wasn't like they were just giving up huge chunks when they weren't getting sacks and tackles for loss. So this will be a good challenge for them. I guess what um, myself and others are looking for is do they have that guy on the uh, on on the uh, on the roster that could be the Miles Gaskin, Bishop Sankey, Chris Polk kind of guy that uh, is definitely your number one running back and um, is a threat to go for 100 yards a game. Do they have that guy on the roster right now? I don't well, think I mean, so. Telepapa went for 57 yards on 11 carries. So if, if they want it, they first of all, I don't think anyone claimed this year that there was going to be a bell cow in the Gaskin, Savon, Bishop Sankey you know, Chris Polk mode. I don't think anyone's ever tried to claim that, but I think it was pretty clear that when Talapapa came on campus and we got to see him those first six practices, that uh, he was he was clearly the one that was favored. And and you could see it when he ran against Kent State there, for good reason. There, wa- there weren't any other running backs that, that are out there currently 
that are better than him. But, you know, 5.2 yards a carry on balance when you take all those carries into account. If you can average 5.2 yards, if you're if you're Washington's number one running back, they're going to take that every time because you're going to get at least 11 carries a game. I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't necessarily get more against Portland State. Now, again, if they run out to a big lead, Kim. That's when the carries start to get spread out a little bit more. So at the end of the day, when we're looking at that at that book tonight, <laughs> it, it may look a lot different than that because they could have jumped out to a 45 nothing lead by halftime. So who knows? And- and Scott, you know, when you say you don't think that guy's on the roster, I think a lot of people anticipated and thought that Richard Newton or Cam Davis or JV on Sunday uh, or a couple of the guys that left. I thought I think most of the people thought that one of those guys would step up. And Cam Davis, of course, is probably the number three running back. Richard Newton, they haven't seen him do anything, but they're claiming he's getting closer. But uh you know, do you think there's a chance that we could see one of those guys break out? Well, there's always possible. I mean, last we heard JB on Sunday isn't in the mix right now. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's not in the mix. And and uh, Cameron Davis, I, I he is a great back. Um, he was very talented in high school. And I just haven't seen it. You know, I, I, I wonder how much that fumble against Oregon State last year really hurt his mentality because he was he was really playing well, I think, up until then. And, and then uh, that's when, um, you know, other guys took over and, and kind of left him in the dust. And he kind of took a backseat to all what they were doing. And I'd really like to see him get out and get more of an opportunity. But I think right now Wayne Talapapa is probably going to get 60% of the carries. Well, Nixon will probably get 30% of the carries. And, and uh, Cameron Davis will get 10% of the carries and and that's just not going to leave him a lot of opportunities. So he needs to really be able to make the most of those opportunities. The nice thing is he's a great receiver out of the backfield. And I, I think the coaches have noticed that. And I, I think he's probably, I would argue, you know, a lot of people might think that, well, Nixon might be that guy, but I think Cameron Davis is the best receiver out of the backfield for Washington. And talk about disappearing Aaron Dumas. Uh, he was getting a bulk of the carries in spring ball. And I know a lot of that had to do with they just didn't have the guys there. But, boy, Aaron Dumas has just disappeared. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than it looks like he's just not in their plans. You know, maybe that isn't the case going forward after, you know, maybe we he, we see him get some carries. But right now they want to go with a three-man rotation, and he is not in that mix. Yeah, well, saying that, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get 10 carries today. (laughs) Yeah, because of what we just said. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, getting back to Michael Penix, I put in my prediction, I think the only question in this game, and, you know, I don't know, a lot of people are not going to be happy with me talking like this, but I think the only question in this game is, um, you know, who's the backup quarterback today? You know, if Washington's able to get that lead stretched out midway through the third quarter and they're up by a bunch and they want to bring in a quarterback, do they bring in Sam Hewitt or do they bring in Dylan Morris? My gut says they're still going to bring in Dylan Morris, but there's a part of me that thinks that they would want to bring in Sam to maybe divide up that quarterback time, backup quarterback time to, you know, show that it is indeed a, a competition there. Well, I, I think you're probably going to see Dylan and then Sam. If Washington gets out to the lead that you think they might get out to, Kim, I could see Dylan Morris getting most of the third quarter and Sam maybe getting all of the fourth quarter because Dylan got most of the fourth quarter on on um, last Saturday. So, you know, I I think 
who's the first one off the bench? I think tonight it's going to be Dylan Morris, but I think that's a competition that's going to go all season long and, and the coaches are going to see who's ready to go. And Chris, I think it's, I think that if they get out to the lead where Michael Penix doesn't play the entire game, I think who comes in makes a definitive statement. Um, it's the statement is either going to be Dylan Morris is clear number two, or the definitive statement is be, going to be, Hey, you know, it, it's close. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're in a position where they need to make definitive statements. It's game two. It's, it's still the non-conference and it's still before their most important non-conference game. So if you can keep that powder in your, you know, in the holster and not have to worry about using it, why would you go there? And like Scott said, I think a lot of it depends on timing. If it's middle of the fourth quarter and they, you know, it's like maybe there's six minutes left and the game, they, they determine the games out of reach. Maybe they bring in Heward. Why wouldn't they? I mean, you know, Dylan got his shot uh, against Kent State, so why shouldn't uh, why shouldn't uh, Sam Heward get his get his chance uh, tonight? So you know, bottom line is it's I think it's six and one half dozen the other. But if if we're correct and if Washington does jump out to a big enough lead, I totally envision the same scenario that Scott does. That you know Morris could be the first guy off, but then again he might only get a series. And then it might be Sam that gets the rest of the the game. So I I think they want to give opportunities to Heward. I think they want to incentivize him and, and, and give him work that I think he's, he's earned at least if you go by what Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer have been saying since the beginning of fall camp in terms of, you know, spring game was by far his best practice and he's continued to improve. You've got to be able to give that guy some incentive to keep going. and, And this would be the way to do it. You anticipate seeing anything different offensively, maybe to show, I mean, they showed a couple of things with Kent State in the flea flicker and the um, uh, fake timeout, but do you anticipate them holding more back or maybe showing a little bit more to give uh, Michigan State next week something, something to think about? I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're going to hold anything back. There's no reason to hold anything back. I think game plans are game plans. You you find some specific things or specific players that you can attack on the other team and you and you go about it that way. And um, you know, there should be plenty of things that they, they can attack for Portland State, even though, you know, I'm, they played very, very well against San Jose State, took them to the wire. But there's obviously certain things that they can go out and get after and especially if they execute at the level and clip that they were able to do like they did at Kent State because if they execute it doesn't matter if they just throw outs all day if they if they get those and they're going to be seeing more man defense Kim and they can just attack those guys and and get and, and get some space and Penix is as accurate as he was last Saturday then it won't matter. They won't need to open up the offense. They won't need to show a lot of trick plays or a lot of gadgets here and there. If they execute, they should be able to run anything they want. No problem. Scott, when they play Michigan State, the game plan will be 100% geared towards Michigan State. Do Do you think that, I mean, we're still getting to know this coaching staff. How much of the game plan today um, is maybe looking forward a little bit to Michigan State? You mean they're go- they're they're going to try and work on stuff they want to work on for Penn, uh, Michigan State or not show show or not show I the the not show thing I I I just I have a real hard if if 
coaches really do that, that just tells me they're really worried about that other team. And I don't think you can worry about that other team. This program needs wins. And and if Washington held things back last year, which we all kind of th- thought they did in anticipation of playing Michigan on the road, they lost to Montana. You have to get a win. If I, I mean, I would think I would like to think that Washington doesn't have to pull off all these trick plays and do all these special things to beat uh, Portland State. But my gosh, you you can't worry about, you know, we don't want to show too much or anything like that. I think they're going to show. My guess is the coaches, if we talk to them right now, I bet the coaches would tell us they probably have 65, 70, maybe 75 percent of the playbook in at this point. And I don't think they have their their full arsenal yet ready to go because I think the guys are still learning their system. This is not year two in the system. This is year one. And we're talking about one game in. So um, I, I don't think you're going to see Washington hold things back. I think honestly, they might run some things that they think they can have success against Michigan state with. Um, and, and they might want to run it just against live in a live quote unquote practice, whatever you want, you know, a game so that they can get some live reps and see how the, the guys handle it. Guys, I, I think, to be honest, let's kind of reverse engineer this idea a little bit. Let's think about a week from tonight, and we're talking about a Michigan State loss. I, You know, depending on how that game goes, we could be talking about it being super highly competitive, high, you know, a high-execution game. They just ran into a better team. That team is currently ranked, I think, top 15 right now. Um, that That's going to be one conversation to have, and that won't be the end of the world. If we look at this thing backwards tonight and we're talking about a Washington loss to Portland State, that's devastating. That is absolutely the worst outcome of all time. That that would be almost worse than Montana because Montana, they've seen they've seen that coming. All the players that were here last year saw that coming with Portland State. If and if they get and now if they're you're going to look back a week from now and say, yeah, we overlooked Portland State, that that will be unconscionable. And, and I just don't expect that to happen. And that's why I just don't see this staff or, you know, overlooking them or changing a game plan or putting in things that they want to try ahead of Michigan's. I just don't see it. It just it seems completely counterintuitive to everything that they do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll talk about the Portland State offense versus this Washington defense. And I think we all agree that, uh, you know, we're looking to see some improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Welcome back. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and uh, Portland State game. Today with a 1 o'clock kickoff, probably more like 1.10, and it will be broadcast for those who won't be attending the game. It will be on Pac-12 Washington channel, which is different than the normal Pac-12 channel. It will also be on the Pac-12 Oregon channel, but for those in Washington with Xfinity, Comcast, that channel is 1330, but uh, not sure what it is down in Oregon, but Xfinity and Comcast in the Seattle area, that's channel 1330. Again, it's on, um, you know, uh, Pac-12 channel, Washington, not the normal Pac-12 channel. So just a heads up on that. Again, <laughs> it's going to be warm today, so uh, dress accordingly and I'm looking forward to being down on the sidelines. I love that 86-degree weather and uh, a little bit of a cool breeze coming off the lake. But, you know, taking a look at the offensive side of the ball with Oregon, they've got a quarterback that uh, might be just as good as the one that they saw last week against Kent State. Kim, oh, did better. You say, did you say Oregon? It's Portland did State. I? Portland yeah. State. Well, Portland State. Portland, Oregon State. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. The, uh, I'm waiting for the uh, coffee to kick in guys. Speaking okay. of speaking of overlooking an opponent. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he's better. I mean, he's at least more athletic than, um, uh, Colin Schley is. I mean, he's a guy, the coaches have said it, that he's a guy who can use his legs to actually run away from you. Whereas Schley was more of a guy who just took advantage of some openings and, and things like that. But he wasn't a guy who was going to run away from you. This guy can absolutely run away from you. And uh, so they're going to have to be on their marks, man. They're going to have to stay in their lanes. They're going to have to be disciplined on the edge. All those edge guys there, you know, I mean, I don't know how many missed tackles they had. I want to say five, to seven somewhere in that where where they had sack opportunities and they missed it now give Schley some credit he he slipped out of some of those tackles but you know Washington's got to make those plays and and if you don't make that play against uh Shashere I mean you're you're you could be really doing yourself uh, some, some, you putting yourselves in a really bad situation. And that's what's going to be interesting, Chris, because last week against Kent State, it seemed like they got there many times. They just weren't able to finish. No, no doubt about it. There was probably half a dozen times. And the fact that Schley didn't get, didn't get sacked or any of that kind of stuff. Well, he had one sack, but you know, bottom line is they could have had probably four or five sacks easily if they had just been able to, to break down and, and contain him instead of letting him go outside or, um, you know, just trying to maybe arm tackle him or just kind of push him to the ground, I guess. But, you know, that's a bigger guy. And, and Shashari definitely is a, a much more of a, of a, of a, of a quicker, faster guy. If you look at their stats from their San Jose state game, I mean, he was their leading rusher by far. Um, their, their leading running back, Andrew Van Buren, he only averaged 2.2 yards a carry. They, they they only had a long of 10 yards in their running backs, if you take away Shashari. I mean, they just they did not run the ball hardly at all with success um, when it was just their running backs. So, you know, basically the, the game plan for Washington today, if, if when they're looking at the run game, is stop Shashari. I mean, you, you've got to target that guy. He's, you know, whether he's running or passing or scrambling, doing whatever he needs with his legs you got to target that guy. Now, I don't know if that means, you know, Chuck Morrell and William Inge, they're going to try to spy him with maybe a guy like Dom Hampton 
or or shoot some other guys over his way, try to overload some things, they can do that. Um, you know, but there's only a couple real serious playmakers uh, on this Portland State team offensively. Shashere is one of them, and uh, you, you got to take care of him first. He's priority one. And Scott, I'm kind of anticipating that that's going to be an early emphasis is getting to the quarterback and wrapping up. And they're probably going to game plan a little bit around that as well. Oh, yeah. I I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, I, one, one thing I'm kind of upset about is we didn't ask for Eric Schmidt uh, this week uh, to get his reaction to how his guys played. And and um, yeah, I, I, I wish we had gotten his his thoughts on things, but we didn't do that. So. You know, I, I think I'd really like to hear what he had to say. And I I think a, a lot of it's just going to be about, hey, if you're going to go after the quarterback, you still have to stay in a contain situation. You can't be as aggressive as just go 100% all out. I'm just going to pin my ears back and go because the second he gets outside of you or if you get pushed wide and he's able to run underneath you and then get out – now you're setting yourself up for a 20, 30 yard gain easy. So you can't have that. You just can't. It's kind of surprising looking at the depth chart. Scott Marquis Spiker held a lot of records at uh, down in California playing high school and was here for a couple of years. And uh, well, he's listed as third team on the depth chart as a wide receiver at Portland State. Yeah, I, I, he's he's just a guy. I mean, he struggled up here to to break into the um, you know the depth and. We saw it against, uh, I think it was uh, Oregon that he had a couple big catches uh, when in 2019. But uh, the biggest thing on him was that he just wasn't he wasn't the toughest receiver in the world, and that was why he ended up getting moved down the depth chart and didn't find his way onto the field. And and I think we're starting to see that more. I mean, what what did the I mean their top receiver last week was uh, Bo Kelly, and he had nine receptions for 133 yards. Nate Bennett had five receptions for uh, 76. So, you know, I mean, they throw the ball. And, I mean, Emmanuel Dagby, I remember him uh, when he was at Kent Meridian. And uh, Washington was actually looking at him as a possible walk-on, but he just didn't have the grades. Went to Central Washington for a year, then transferred to Portland State. And he's making good. He's He, got, he had five receptions for 27 yards. But, I mean, you know, they, they have um, playing time available, and they have reps He's just not a guy who's in the mix. He's kind of like JV on Sunday on the running backs for Washington. And Chris, when you take a look at the passing game, we're expecting Portland State to throw the ball. But, uh, you know, I think the, another big question mark is, will we see Jordan Perryman uh, on the field? He left the field last week and, you know, we're not exactly sure what the injury was. It, you know, um, DeBoer said it was an upper leg injury. It looked kind of like a hamstring, possibly a hip. But um, you know, we expect to see Jordan Perryman back. And if not, do you anticipate seeing Julius Irvin as a starter over there at corner? Yeah, I think it was Inge that said that instead of DeBoer. But, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't expect to see him um, unless they're in a real – situation because they, they can put Julius Irvin back there. Um, he did fill in for Perryman for the rest of the Kent State game. Looked fine. Um, he is a guy that it, we, we learned this week talking to Julius Brown that uh, Brown actually recruited Julius Irvin when he was at Utah State and uh, may have been the very first uh, scholarship offer to give to Julius when he was in high school. So uh, there is a connection there and he 
understands that that's a guy that he recruited him as a corner to Utah State, whereas obviously Washington recruited him as a safety. But this is a guy that is extremely talented, very athletic, very fast, and has the measurables to get the job done outside. And and as uh, Scott kind of rattled off, whether you're talking about a guy like Bo Kelly or, or Nate Bennett, those are probably going to be your top two targets if you're looking at who uh, Dante Shacheri is going to throw to. And so you target those guys, make sure you lock them down, and try to see if you can get some other of their skill guys to beat them. And, you know, you talked about um, Marcus Spiker being in the in the three deeps. He's not even in the three deeps at receiver. He's He's number three punt returner right now, I believe, or kick returner. He's a specialist. And it's amazing how far down the pecking order he's gone. And then you look at a guy like Darian Chase, who's from that area, who transferred to Portland State from Nebraska, and he's not even listed on the depth either. So it's amazing how some of these guys have fallen a little bit. But, you know, when you look at who Washington has to combat those guys, not just Irvin, but you've got Michelle Powell, who probably wants a little bit of redemption for giving up the long touchdown against Kent State. You're going to see him play. Um, we know we saw um, De- uh, Devon Banks and Dyson McCutcheon. They can both go out there and play. And then you even, even uh, according to the participation chart against Kent State, Javion Green played, the true freshman from Houston. So they've got guys coming through the ranks that can play. But I think it's a great move for Julius Irvin over there, Kim, because not only does he add an experienced body there, but they that group needs a little bit of leadership in there if if Jordan Perryman can't go in there because most of those guys in that cornerbacks room right now are pretty young. And that's the other question, Scott, because you know with uh, if you're not seeing Perryman out there with the lack of depth over at corner, do you anticipate seeing a how much of Elijah Jackson or Devon Banks well, do you anticipate seeing? I don't know how healthy Elijah Jackson is. Um, yeah, they've because- talked about him coming back. Yeah, that's what so, Julius Brown said. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, who who knows? I, I think Devon Banks is the one that I would expect to see. I think uh, Irvin and, and Banks are the first ones that I think I would expect to see in there. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's you wouldn't going see to be. Powell? You wouldn't see Powell? No, Powell. I mean, Powell. I, I, Powell's a I'm sorry. I, I just assumed Powell would be in there. I'm sorry. I, okay. I just meant in Perryman's place. Oh, and, I, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's something, again, That's I think that's a key to keep an eye on, and I'm sure the Michigan State scouts will be eyeballing that situation as well to see if that's something that they may be able to take advantage of of next week. Um, any other matchups, Chris, that you think will be intriguing for today's games? Well, absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit about those edge players, and, and Scott talked about wanting to talk to Eric Schmidt. I think the the biggest key right now from week one to week two in terms of improvement is identification on those edge players. You know, you saw Colin Schley be able to kind of pretty much abuse Savelle Smalls and Zion when he was trying to get, when he was trying to get around them and and fake on those zone reads. Um, They bit on the wrong play uh, a few times. And so reading their keys, identifying the fits, Things like that, those those edge players are going to absolutely be key in containing a guy like Shashari. I mean, they have to make sure that they're spilling everything inside where they have more guys in there that can get him down on the ground. That's going to be absolutely key because if, if they get him outside and he's just running around, it's going to be a long day for Washington's defense. It doesn't mean that they can't 
make some things happen because Shashari is a guy that makes things happen with his with his legs and he can run around. And when he throws the ball, he's fairly accurate. But he threw a couple picks against San Jose State. And we know Washington was really feasting on picks against Kent State when they got three. So if they can force him into some ill-advised throws or some, if they show him some pictures where he thinks one thing's happening and all of a sudden everything changes and some of those safeties are coming up and making picks or even the corners, they can make it a really long day for a guy like that because then he starts thinking and then he starts second-guessing some things. So they've really got to be fundamentally sound with a guy like him because if you break down just a little bit, he's going to take advantage. And so I think Shashari going up against those edge players and really forcing them into decisions is going to be super key because I don't think they were really that great in their decision-making. I'm talking about the Washington edge players as a, as a group. I don't think they were necessarily that good in their decision-making when having to try to get down, uh, get College Lee down on the ground. And this guy is going to be, I think, an even tougher test for them. Uh, Scott, do you want to touch bases on recruiting? Um couple of guys in um, last week, not sure they're expecting a big uh, number of recruits in t- uh, today because I'm anticipating next week for Michigan State game to be the big game for recruits coming into visit. Yeah, um, Jaquan Smith came in for a visit last weekend. His, his, he took an uh, uh, official and uh, he talked to Greg, sounds like Greg, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Greg Biggins, and sounds like it was a really good positive visit. Um, what position is he, Scott? He's a wide receiver. Okay. Wide receiver, so really explosive wide receiver. Kind of been not. I don't think he's as fast as John Ross, but it, guy ran a ten five five, I think, as a sophomore. Uh, and so yeah, he's a pretty special runner. And uh, I think Washington uh, would like to get that kind of speed into their wide receiver core. Um, anyway, uh, that one's gonna be a while though. Um, you know, he's down. He's got Oregon. He's got a couple other schools that are really eyeing him that he's been interested in as well. Um, but yeah, it sounds like Michigan State's going to be the big weekend. I, I still expect a, a decent handful of kids to be on campus this weekend, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of out-of-staters on campus. You'll see more of the in-state guys. I think uh, Landon Hatchett will... Actually, I don't think Landon Hatchett will be there because I believe Ferndale plays uh, this evening. And so um, I, I just don't think he'll be there. Jacob Lane may be there though. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Also on the recruiting front on basketball with Washington, it looks like right now um, they've got room for one more with the only person that uh, is guaranteed to leave for next year is Jamal Bay and Jalen Stewart for out of Rainier Beach uh, is probably the number one target. I'd call him 1A, but uh, 1B is a kid uh, named Wesley Yates. He's a 6'4 shooting guard out of Beaumont, Texas, and uh, he's number 30 player overall in the country rated by 24-7 sports, the number two shooting guard in the country with a 98-8 rating. And it sounds like the coaching staff is on their way down to visit Wesley Yates. And he has uh, quite a few offers, Auburn, LSU, Washington, Alabama, Gonzaga, Georgia Tech, Illinois, Memphis, Oklahoma State, UNLV, Wake Forest, and on and on and on and on. So just a name to kind of keep an eye on. He's 6'4", 200 pounds, Wesley Yates out of Beaumont, Texas. And uh, he's a shooter, and that's one uh, thing that Washington really needs. So, Hey, Chris, did you notice Kim's accent when he said Beaumont? Beaumont, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Ever been to Beaumont, Chris? No, I've been to 
I've been to Houston. I've been to Dallas. I've been to San Antonio. I've been to Austin. I've been to uh, hey, I've actually been to Waco. Flower Mound. I've actually been to Flower Mound. I didn't think that was a real place. I thought they were make, making fun of me, but it's a real place. And, and El Paso. And Luling. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> Chris has been to Luling. Have I? City Market Barbecue. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> if it's barbecue, I've probably been there. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking to see Washington's defense trying to get off the field a lot easier than they did against Kent State. Kent State was 10 to 17, third down conversions. And as DeBoer said, you get Colin Schley down there a couple more times. Now, all of a sudden, those numbers aren't looking uh, as skewed as, as they ended up being. So, again, week one to week two, you've got to you've got to see a lot of improvement there. Um, Portland State's third down conversions against San Jose State's with well, five of 13, which is, you know, if they could get it down to five of 13, that's really reasonable, especially with a dangerous guy, a quarterback like Dante Shacheri. So, you know, they need to really, really get off the field to allow that that offense to operate and, and jump out to a big lead. Fortunately, they were able to execute against Kent State at a really high level. Um, now that teams have some tape on what Washington's going to try to do with this new staff offensively, you know, I expect that they're going to have to really start, you know, implementing some few tweaks here and there to keep their to keep the defenses off balance. So I'm going to be curious to see that as well. But again, defensively, got to get off the field. They've got to really contain Shashiri. And then offensively, just keep doing what you're doing. Start start running the ball a little bit more efficiently. But if you can be nine of 15 on third down conversions like they were against Kent State, that's going to get the job done against a team like Portland State. Scott Eklund? Uh, you know, I I really echo a lot of what Chris said. You know, um, I, I think Washington really has to <clears throat> do a good job of containing uh, Sherry. And, and I also think they need to do a good job of taking advantage of the opportunities they're going to get in the passing game when uh, when they've got man-to-man coverage. Washington has receivers who can beat man-to-man coverage. Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunsey. I, I think all these guys can beat one-on-one coverage, and I think Giles Jackson could too. So uh, and Taj Davis. I think all this, the the top five wide receivers should be able to have a big day. I I look for uh, Devin Colt to maybe catch a touchdown pass this week, and maybe get one or two more backs um, in you know in the in the end zone again. So I think it's going to be a big score. I think maybe they, the Huskies give up a late score to make things a little bit closer, but I think Washington's going to have a big day offensively, and I think uh, defensively, I think they've got a chance to to um, get tested, but really make some plays. One o'clock start. I think we're all happy about that. Those late games just crush us. We're usually seven, seven and a half hours after kickoff by the time we get home. So, you know, getting home at two and three o'clock in the morning is not fun. So that one o'clock kickoff and enable us to at least do something that night and watch a little bit of football in the morning. I think we're all looking forward to that, especially with the weather anticipated in the mid to high 80s today and a little bit of smoke screen out there, too. So should be interesting. But, you know, uh, looking for a big win for Washington today, looking to see what they show, see what they don't show gearing up for Michigan State next week. So um, hey, just a reminder, uh, we're not running a promo now for non-subscribers, but I think it's always a promo because if you sign up for the yearly for dogman.com, 
and pay the full freight, you get Paramount Plus included in your subscription. So um, and that makes it a pretty good deal. If you're on the promo, that's not included in, until uh, you pay the full freight the second year. But you get Paramount Plus for free. And there's a lot of stuff coming up on Paramount Plus that you're going to want to see. So uh, a lot of advantages to going ahead and signing up now for the annual subscriptions. So uh, we'll be back post game. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Survivor 46 is here. And so is on fire. The only official survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.